as you're seated today, may the reality of the resurrection flood your very body, your mind, your emotions. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to share with you what I believe to be the most important thing that we could ever know, the most important thing we could ever understand. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That first Easter morning that brought an empty tomb, a risen Savior, and victory over sin and death. On that day, and as we celebrate it this day, a new order of existence was born. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Nothing like this had ever happened before. Resurrection is not the same as resuscitation. Like the people Jesus brought back to life, they died again. He resuscitated them, but they died again because they were not sinless and their body and soul and spirit were not perfect as Jesus was. Resurrection is not reincarnation. Resurrection is not a mystical vision or a phantom appearance of a ghost. Resurrection is the remaking, the transforming of matter in a new created order. It becomes something new, something that has never existed before. And the moment you get born again by accepting Jesus and his death and resurrection, you become something that has never existed before. And Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, not the religion of his resurrection, not the tradition of his resurrection, not a belief or a mystery of resurrection, not a conspiracy, not the conspiracy of resurrection, not the mystery of resurrection, not the religious belief or doctrine of resurrection. No, he calls it the power of resurrection. Because there is no doubt in his mind, it is not a mystery to Paul. It is not a mystery to Peter. It is not a mystery to John or to James. It was a mystery to Thomas until Jesus settled that. But let this not be missed. There's three things here talked about by Paul. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, 
and being conformed to his death. But, but, the thing that matters more than all of it is the first request and cry of Paul, that I may know him, that I may know him. You see, the verse before this, Paul says what an accomplished person he was, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a holy, religious, righteous in the eyes of the law. He was righteous. And it says, I don't want to be known by that. I don't want to know the religion that I was educated in. I don't want to be found having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Righteous means to, be, to stand in the presence of God without guilt, without shame, without fear, without inferiority, without condemnation. Even in verse 8, if you go back one more verse, he says, all the things I've accomplished, go back to verse 6, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day, as concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. He hated Christians. He hated Christians. Beloved, what I'm trying to get across to you is this is not a religion that Paul adopted because it just seemed like the best religion at the time. This is a man who was educated in every verse of the Old Testament. This is a man who was righteous according to the law, found blameless according to legal law. He kept all the laws. He kept all the religion. He didn't keep it all in his heart, but he kept it all in his hands. In his heart, he sinned like all of us. But concerning fulfilling the law, he was found blameless. He believed in offering a sacrifice every year for sin. He hated the church because they opposed. The church said, Jewish people are not the only chosen. All can be saved. So he hated that. It, his religion taught him to hate that. His religion taught him to repudiate that. What we have here, beloved, is a man who has been convinced by something that a book could not convince him of. Convinced by something that a religion could not convince him of. Convinced by something that no experience of human effort could ever experience or convince him of. This is a man who met Jesus. This is a man who faced Jesus. This is a man who saw a risen king, savior, master of death. And all those things that were gained to me, he says, I count them but trash and rubbish. I count them loss for the sake of Christ. Gaining Christ, I count all things to be lost, he says. In verse 8, I count everything that I've achieved and obtained, I count it loss, I count it rubbish, because 
I want the excellence that comes from the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all these things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. If anybody could boast about their religious accomplishments, it was Paul. And in fact, he does boast about it. And then he says, I count it all trash, garbage, crap that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is by faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Then he says that I may know him, that I may know him. Jesus said, this is eternal life. John, Chapter 17, verse three. He said, Father, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, not to know about him, not to hear about him, but to know him. The word know here is the word of intimacy. It's not just head knowledge. It is an experience of intimacy with God. It is Jesus saying to Zacchaeus, come down from the tree and I must come to your house and I must dine with you. It is Jesus saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It is to know him is to truly know his love for you and to know him and his love for you is to love him. The way we love God is by believing that he loves us. You do not love God because you came to church today. You do not love God because you read your Bible. You do not love God because you were obedient. You love God by believing he loves you. That is why Paul can say that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. By what measure do you love him? But by, by whose measure? He says all things work together for good to those who love him. So when we're trying really hard to love him and how much trying is considered trying enough to God. You see the the danger of the belief that loving God is tied to your actions and behavior that is not loving God at all. Anybody can be a good person without God. What God ties loving him to is believing the love he has for you. When you believe the love he has for you, you are in that moment, in that fact, truly loving him. Because you're accepting his love for you that is free and unconditional. Paul says that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, which is the word koinonia, which is the exchange of his sufferings. He he became sin so that we would become righteous. He became cursed so that we would become blessed. He became he he became crucified so that we could be resurrected. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He became what we were 
so that we could become what he was before he became what we were. Amen. He became what we were on the cross. He became what we were so that we could become what he was before he became what we were. It's the great exchange. He exchanges. Listen now. I could talk about the great exchange for weeks, months and years. I could talk about the fellowship of his sufferings and the great exchange and being conformed to his death and even knowing him. But today is about his resurrection. And I want you to have a keen awareness of his risenness. And I want you to get the facts on this, because our faith is not built upon a myth or a fable. Our faith is not built upon blind belief that is loosely held together by something that comes in and out of your heart whenever you have the emotion strike you that that is when you truly have faith. That is a lie. Our faith is not built on a blind belief. It is built on a fact. Beloved, it may not come across to you all your life that faith is built on fact. But the truth is, is that all faith is built on fact. We walk by faith, not by sight, not because what we see is the fact. The fact is, is there is truth that we don't see. And we live by that which is true, regardless of whether we see it or not. It is a fact. Therefore, we believe the facts. And God does not want us hanging our faith on a myth or a fable that is kind of maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. He wants you to know that the resurrection is not only the greatest event that ever happened in the universe, it is the most provable event that ever happened in the universe. It is a fact. How do we know it is a fact? How do we know anything is a fact? It must be proven or there must be even one shred of evidence that it's not true. I defy any human being on the face of this earth, any demon in hell, any demon on earth to find one shred of evidence that proves that Jesus did not rise from the dead. There is not one shred of evidence. The fact is, is to believe that he has not risen from the dead is more of a fable and is beyond any reason and reasonable understanding, comprehension of humanity and reality and truth as sure as the sun comes up every day or where the earth rotates around it, as sure as that is true, so it is true that Jesus rose from the dead. It is found in every seed that a farmer plants. It is proven every harvest season by every farmer who plants seed in the ground, knowing that the life that's inside of that seed has no other option and no other alternative. And it is scientific evidence that proves the life inside of that seed will burst through that ground. It is a fact. Nobody gets a harvest by fables and myths. You get a harvest by taking a seed, putting it into the ground. The seed dies in the ground. And when it dies, it opens up and the life that's inside of it emerges out through shooting itself up through the ground. Once dead, that seed now fills an orchard with apple trees. 
That is evidence. That is scientific. That is fact. That is biology. That is chemistry. That is theology. That is I run out of things to call it. It is reality. I want you to race. Everything religion has ever told you that you're going out on a limb to believe Jesus rose from the dead. You are not going out on a limb believing that he rose from the dead. You are building your life upon the most concrete, evidential, scientific, demonstrated. And so guess what? We don't get any glory because we believed something that was so impossible to believe. And yet we went ahead and believed it. Aren't we so good and glorious that we believed something so hard to imagine and so hard to believe? No, we don't get the glory because we're not believing something that's hard to imagine and hard to believe. We're believing a fact scientifically proven and declared and decreed by atheists. Atheists have said the resurrection is the most provable, provable fact in human history. You know, a video today of somebody doing something is not even evidence of them doing it because of the computer generated realities that we can create, false realities that we can create through computer generation. But the you see, so you could say everybody saw that video, but that video was edited and man got involved. The resurrection of Jesus, can, it was not edited. We didn't have that technology then. We only had eyewitnesses and things that could be written and things that could be proven. Listen, I wish we could get, if you get this, you will never ever have a hard time believing God for anything when you realize that your faith is not built on some imagination or imaginary fairy tale. It is built upon fact. We are not the stupid ones, the crazy ones building our life upon some religion. This is a relationship that I may know him. This is a real person. And he, he is the master over death. Get the facts right. What is the DNA trail of clues to validate the resurrection of Jesus? Are you ready for this? A stone that took 20 men to move could not roll away unless it was moved supernaturally. Roman soldiers in Mark chapter 16, Jesus in a rich man's tomb, they saw the tomb, they saw, they, they were about to kill themselves. They were about to, they were about to, they ran in terror because the punishment for opening up a tomb or letting out somebody that's supposed to be guarded. The punishment is death. Don't you think those guys, if they could have proved that it didn't happen, they would have. Don't you think the entire Roman Empire led by Caesars, dictators, manufacturers of reality that isn't always reality? Don't you think they had the power? They absolutely had the power to trick people over every other fact, but not this one. As much as the Roman Empire wanted this to be false, they could never prove it to be false. So they tried to get rid of the evidence. And the evidence wasn't just Jesus rising from the dead. The evidence was people that hated Jesus when they discovered he rose from the dead. 
became disciples of the Lord Jesus. The evidence was that they tried to burn Christians, send them into the stadium for sport to be eaten by lions, to be burned with fire. No human being would ever go through that over something that was a fable, a fabrication, manufactured or made up. No, Paul himself wouldn't have gone through that. You wouldn't go through that. You wouldn't you wouldn't die for something that was a myth. If you're going to die for something, you die for something that was real. You die for something that's true. Amen. Roman guards of four to 16 men could not move that stone. It had to be lowered to cover the tomb where Jesus was. By the way, that tomb is still empty. I've been to that tomb. There's still nobody in it. But you know what was in it? The shroud. The grave clothes that Jesus himself folded neatly when he rose from the dead. And when they came to the tomb, all they saw was the grave clothes folded neatly. You know, those grave clothes are in a city right now called Turin. And you can see the very image of Jesus that could have only got on that linen cloth through some electric electricity that had transferred from the body of the person who was in it, creating a negative like a like a photograph negative that that actually was imprinted onto the linen. It could not be manufactured. It is not manufactured. It is actually in existence today. But the great educators of humanity, the great university professors, they they speak of evidence concerning everything else except the resurrection. Because to believe the resurrection is to believe everything Jesus said. And to believe everything Jesus said would condemn them to judgment or release them to life everlasting by putting their faith in the Jesus that they're trying to say nobody can prove existed. How can any of us believe the first president of America was George Washington? How could any of us believe that you can study DNA and find out that you're three percent Jewish, four percent Turkish, five percent Greek. And you believe it, you follow the DNA evidence for everything except the resurrection. We follow the DNA evidence to find a criminal. We follow the DNA evidence to find who our relatives are, our ancestors. We follow the DNA evidence to to crack any code, to break through any barrier, to to prove any fact, except the one thing that is the most obvious thing in the universe is the one thing that the science and that the leaders of education and knowledge refuse to to treat as fact because they refuse to deal with it scientifically, yet they deal with everything else scientifically except that one thing. 
The only way to get the tomb to roll down the hill and cover the tomb was to, was to knock the wedge out that was, that was holding it up its weight on the hill and they knocked the wedge out and it rolled down to the stone. They couldn't even move it down to the stone. You can study this. You can research this for yourself. I encourage you to because we're not hiding anything here. Jesus rose from the dead. It's a fact. I want you to come back Sunday because the Bible says encourage one another day after day. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling together. Why is there so much power in God saying that we should come back next Sunday? Because if there's power in the fact that he said he's going to rise from the dead, we should take him at his word concerning everything else that he said would produce something good in our lives rather than just kind of go through life deciding we just, you know, like just pick this and pick that. And so maybe I like that. What he said there. I don't like what he said there. I don't. It's not a smorgasbord. It's not an all you can eat buffet. It is. But you got to eat it all. Drink ye all of it, Jesus said. Take it all in. Don't just take parts of it. The point is, is that if he said he would rise from the dead and then, in fact, did. We should take him at his word concerning every promise that he ever made. A stone removed, impossible except by God. Empty tomb, impossible except by Jesus. Roman guards ran away, impossible. Unless. They had no explanation. Empty grave clothes neatly folded by the God who is not a God of confusion, but a God of order. Amen. Make your bed, people. Jesus made his. <laughs> 500 eyewitnesses. 50 hours of eyewitness testimony. Why am I saying these things? Why aren't we just like Woo, we believe in the resurrection? Because I don't want you to believe in a myth. I want you to believe in fact. I want you to believe in science. Christianity is not opposed science. That's right, that's right. Philosophy that is unprovable opposes Christianity, but true science supports it. It would have been the most lopsided trial in all of history if you had to try to disprove that Jesus rose from the dead. And the greatest evidence of all was the changed lives. The hardest people to convince in our lives about anything is our family members. And yet Jesus brothers who refused to believe in him while he was alive became disciples once they realized he was risen from the dead. The cowardly disciples who all ran away from him at the cross only John and Jesus mother and the other girl, another Mary. <laughs> we don't know how many Marys were in there, but there was Mary and another Mary and John. <laughs> Everybody else ran away. And yet. After the resurrection at the cross, they ran away for the persecution that they would experience because they were watching Jesus get crucified. But then when he rose from the dead, you couldn't get them to shut up. They beat Peter, they beat John, they whipped them, they tortured them, they put them in boiling oil. They crucified Peter upside down because they were going to crucify him on a cross. And he said, no, thank you. I will not die in the same manner that my savior died. Turn me upside down and I will be crucified on a cross upside down. What? This guy, remember him? Get behind me, Satan, that that guy. 
the guy that Jesus nicknamed Satan. He's like, one guy, your pal, your buddy, your bro, you're the devil. To Peter, Peter's the devil. Peter sinks in the water. Peter cuts people's ears off because he can't control his emotions. Peter says, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, but you know what? By the time the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. Rooster crows just before. The rooster crows just after Peter denies him for the third time, cursing and cussing declaring with all vehement emotion, I do not know him. And yet now we have first Peter and second Peter. We have the gospel of Mark, who was a disciple of Peter's. And it, the, we, the reason we have the book of Mark is not because Mark was a follower, but because Peter was. And he said, Mark, write this down. This is what happened. And it's funny. Peter left out some of his horror stories that Matthew included. That's why Mark is only 16 chapters. Matthew's 28 chapters. <laughs> Matthew includes all of Peter's failures. Read the book of Mark and he comes out like a hero. Mm. <laughs> Write this down, Mark. Oh, but didn't you deny the Lord there? Yeah, but don't say that. Let's just leave it out. <laughs> didn't you sink in the water over there, Pete? Yeah, but just don't write it down. You don't have to write everything. Everything's true, but you don't have to include all of it. The cowardly disciples who all fled became the most powerful evangelists the world has ever known. Thomas himself, who doubted until Jesus said, here, feel my hands, feel my side. Put your hand there, man. Now what you going to do? He's like, I'm going to India. And Thomas went and took the gospel to an entire continent in Asia. And the gospel spread. The fanatic Jewish persecutor of Christians, Paul, became an apostle and a writer of two thirds of the New Testament. After the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we're not talking about blind faith. We're talking about intelligent faith. We are not stupid. Foolish people to the wisdom of men. Yes, the power of God might appear foolish to the wisdom of men because they're not using their heads. They're trying to connive and trick you out of believing the devil can only get you to be an unbelieving person by blinding your mind from the light of the gospel. He can't even he can't stop the gospel. He can't stop it being spread. So he uses all of his power to not to keep you from getting saved because he couldn't even do that, but to try to blind your mind from the glory so that you only see it as a religion rather than see it as a glorious relationship with God. I know this may sound like. I thought we were supposed to be people of faith, not facts. Who told you that? Who told you that lie? That somehow we're supposed to ignore the facts. That's what religion tells you. That's what, quote unquote, scientists tell you to ignore the facts without telling you that they're facts trying to get you to get your mind tricked. You really think you came from an ape? Do you really actually believe that? 
you really believe that Unky Monkey is your That is a myth. That is a fable that requires blind faith. The resurrection of Jesus requires open eyes and open ears and an open heart to the truth. You know how some people you know a truth about something, but you don't tell them because you know they're not going to accept it, even though it's true. That's what we're talking about here. There can be things that are true, but people sometimes don't want to accept them. That's atheism. They know it's actually evidential that Jesus rose from the dead. They just refuse to acknowledge it and refuse to engage in an honest, intelligent debate over the facts, because if we debate over the facts, we win every time. Because we are not building our life upon a myth and hoping that Jesus rose from the dead. We're changed because he rose from the dead. We're in church on Sunday because he rose from the dead. The world, the devil is shuffling shells trying to get your mind off of the resurrection and on some candy. Get your mind off. You're just shuffling shells, trying to get your mind off of Christmas and off. Everybody in the world knows what Christmas is. Everybody in the world knows what Easter is, but they're just shuffling shells. Oh, it's just the holiday season. Happy holidays. Ha ha ha. I'm trying to tell you, you're smarter than you realize. Your faith is not in a blind belief. It doesn't glorify God because you believe something that can be proven contrary. It glorifies God when you believe what cannot be disproven factually, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. The greatest scholars. Professor Thomas Arnold, author of the three volume history of Rome, holder of the he was the holder of the chairmanship of modern history at Oxford University, not Oxford prison. Oxford University. He said this, quote, I know of no other fact in the history of mankind which has been proven by better and fuller evidence than the great sign that God gives that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. English scholar book Brooke Foss Westcott said, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dr. Simon Simon Greenleaf, Royal Professor of Harvard Law, years ago, examined the entire value of historic evidence concerning the resurrection of Jesus and came to this conclusion, and I quote, According to the laws of legal evidence used in the courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus than any other event in human history. Jesus appeared after his resurrection. He appeared at least eight times. If you appeared eight times, eight Sundays in a row, we would all say it's a miracle. (laughs) 
prove us <laughs> wrong. Eight times Jesus appeared to people after the resurrection. The first one I'll go through them quickly. I'm just really fast. First one, he appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. She was weeping. The first time he appeared after the resurrection, he gave us victory over despair. The second time he appeared to other women as they were leaving the tomb in Matthew, chapter 28, verse nine through ten. You can look these up later. They thought he was dead, but he appeared to them and they worshiped him there. Jesus gave them victory over dead religion and they worshiped a living savior. He gave them victory over despair and now he has given them victory over a dead religion. They didn't worship a man on a cross. They worshiped the man who came down from the cross after dying on the cross, was buried on the third day. He rose from the dead and they saw him and they worshiped him. The first worship service after Jesus resurrection was a bunch of ladies in the service. It's no surprise sometimes in church, the ladies are coming to the front. They're coming first. These were this was a society. Of course, men come too, but you understand. But this was a society at that time where women were considered less credible than men. You would think that if this was a hoax that the disciples were trying to get people to believe they wouldn't they wouldn't have made women the first people that saw Jesus. They wouldn't have made women the first evangelists. And yet Jesus made women the first evangelists because he is a God of equality. My God, he's. If it was up to the disciples to try to manufacture this hoax, they would not have sold it through women that were already considered less than they would have sold it by educated people. And they would have said here, these educated men said that they saw Jesus. But in this case, women saw him and they could not stop the rushing waters of resurrection power, no matter who tried to deny the reality. Thirdly, Jesus met up with two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they just didn't even realize it was him. So number one, he gave gave us victory over despair with Mary, gave us victory over dead religion with appearing to the rest of the, those women. And then number three gives us victory over stupid. <laughs> because Jesus can be right there talking to you and you don't even acknowledge <laughs> that it's him. Victory over being an idiot. <laughs> Somebody needs to go out and say amen to that one. <laughs> you might get a college degree now after that. Fourth. He appears to the 10 disciples who were hiding. Remember, they had one of those doors, you know, how, you know, in the movies, you know, you knock on the door, they open it through this prison, you know, in um, uh, John Wick in the first movie, he puts a coin in the door and the guy opens it, you know, just through this portal and he sees him through those bars. Oh, OK, it's you he opens the door. That's what the disciples there was a girl named Rhoda. Rhoda, you know, remember Mary Tyler Moore, Rhoda, her friend. She opens the door. Jesus is Jesus. She shuts the door, goes back to the disciples who were hiding and said, I just saw Jesus. They said, what did you do? I shut the door, go back and let him in. And the only guy that wasn't there was 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 Thomas. So he required a, a second appearance. Yeah. 
So forth, when Jesus shows himself to these hiding disciples, he gives us victory over fear, over shame. We don't have to hide and we don't have to hide our imperfections. We don't have to hide our mistakes. Fifth, he appears to the rest of the of the disciples, particularly Thomas. And what does he give us then? Victory over doubt. Sixth appearance is in John chapter 21. Jesus appears to seven disciples, including Peter, who had denied Jesus three times prior to that. And Jesus in this sixth visitation after his resurrection gives us victory over failure. Peter failed. And Jesus gave us victory over failure and put Peter back in the ministry. And put Peter back. In being used as a vessel. After Peter's colossal failure, Jesus gives him victory over failure because Jesus believes in us even when we fail. He believes in us even when we've blown it. He gets us up even when we've fallen down. The seventh time Jesus appears after the resurrection is in Matthew, chapter 28. And he says to his disciples, all authority and power has been given to me. Now I give it to you. Go. And make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm giving you this power. What is this in this seventh visitation of Jesus after the resurrection? He gives us victory over powerlessness. We are no longer powerless because he gives us the Holy Spirit. We are no longer powerless because he gives us his promises. We are no longer powerless because he gives us his presence. We are no longer powerless because he gives us his purpose. We are no longer powerless because he gives us his pleasure and delivers us from our pain. We are no longer powerless over what's been done to us, no longer powerless to remain in our own abilities. We are now been given the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter two, he pours out his spirit for the first time on the day of Pentecost. And these guys are never powerless ever again. And the eighth time. Jesus in the same chapter closes out this chapter of Matthew 28 and says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here, Jesus gives us victory over loneliness and says, I'm with you. Always. Even to the end of the age. Jesus himself is the greatest evidence of all. When he says in John chapter two, verse 19, they said, show us proof that you're really. The son of God and Jesus says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Speaking of his physical body, he himself declared. You crucify me, you destroy my temple and I will build it back up again. They thought they were destroying it, but 
He conquered death. You will destroy this temple and I will rebuild it on the third day. John 10, 18, Jesus said, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. He himself prophesies his death and his resurrection and he himself fulfills the prophecy. Now you can go with joy. Now we can go in peace. Now we can go knowing that if all else is a question mark by all the other things going on in your life, there never has to be a question mark ever again of your salvation because it's not built on sinking sand. It's built on the rock of Jesus' resurrection. They will never, ever be one shred of evidence to deny and to disprove that reality. I'll be the first one to announce it if I ever find it, because I'd stop being a Christian. But I will never you'll never hear that from me because I can't find the shred of evidence and no, nor can anybody else. Let's stand together. I don't want you to leave yet. Just stand for a moment and let's pray, because I know there's people here. Maybe you didn't want to follow Jesus or be a Christian because you thought you thought, I don't want to follow something that's just a fable. Well, now we know most of what we follow on social media are fables. Most of what we see other people portraying themselves as most of that are fables. And yet we believe it. Why would we all of a sudden become dumb when it comes to the most provable fact in history? And why would we over spiritualize it? We're not trying to be overly spiritual people. This man died and he rose from the dead and they can't have they can't find any evidence to the contrary as much as the world has tried for 2000 years. And the devil, you know, if there's if the devil has any power at all, he'd have the power to expose that. If Jesus truly didn't die, then he has the right to have authority over your life. Still, the devil has the right to have authority over you if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But guess what? He did. And guess what that means? The devil has lost his power over you. Well, I could talk to you about this all day and all night. But dear Lord, I know you got a ham cooking. I know you got a lamb cooking. I know you got roast beef cooking, whatever you got going on. There's nothing more important than walking out of here, knowing that your faith rests on nothing less than Jesus Christ's resurrection and his righteousness. Hallelujah to the Lord Jesus Christ. I will never be ashamed of the gospel because it is no leap of faith in a fable. It is sound truth that cannot be altered, cannot be changed. If I deny it, it does not deny itself. If I am faithless, the resurrection will remain faithful for all eternity. And if you've never accepted this great savior who thought they thought he was mastered by death, but he mastered death and became the master of it by rising from the dead. If you've never put your faith in this fact that Jesus is risen, 
Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. Now is your time. On the count of three, you never declared that. You never professed that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three with every head up, every eye open. On the count of three, one, two, three. Put your hand up. You prayed that prayer or you declare that right now. I see that hand. I see that. Come on, you're saying, I believe. Today, I believe. Put your hand up. Wave it at me. Come on, wave it at me so I can see you. Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah. Yes, 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 yes. Woo! Now, guess what? Whenever somebody tries to tell you, they can try to talk you out of it. You go back to this fact. Jesus rose from the dead. Prove me wrong. Next time somebody tells you you're believing a fable, just say, my faith is not in a fable. It's in a man who conquered death. Every other religion, they have their beliefs, but no one claims to have conquered death and then backs it up with evidence except Jesus. That's why he is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, beautiful Savior, the great I am, the first and the last the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the head of all things. The glory goes to him. All the honor, all the glory, all the praise, all the majesty, all the victory. It's his. And he chooses to share it with us. Hallelujah. 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 We've got the victory. Woo! Come on, pray this. Pray this out loud, everybody who had your hand up and everybody pray this with us. Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. It is a fact. And I finally believe it. In the name of Jesus, you are my savior. Your blood has washed away my sin. I am now a child of God. Amen. And amen. Come on, somebody. Woo!